0: The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. This winter, there was a distinct smell uh, in our back basement. And neither my wife or I wanted to say out loud what it was, but we knew what was producing the smell. Little rodents who found a way into our home and were making themselves right at home in our back basement. I'm glad you didn't see me in the handling of the problem. (laughs) Some of you know I don't like handling dead things. I don't know who likes handling dead things, but I especially don't like handling dead things. And so we had several little traps for these little invaders. And on one occasion, as I was lowering one of the traps down from a crevice in our basement with, not my hands, but with tongs. (laughs) The tongs slipped off the trap and it looked from, and it dropped, and it looked for a moment that this dead little critter was alive again. And both Bliss and I let out, let out this shriek. (laughs) I know, that's embarrassing. Thankfully, I think we've successfully dealt with this little invasion. But were it to happen again, I think both Bliss and I would agree. We are not the right people for the extermination job. Surely there's a better person for this job. Of cleaning our house of these invaders. A qualified person, the right person to be an effective exterminator. And it's not us. In today's passage in the Gospel of Mark, the question of qualification and extermination is being asked of Jesus. Up to this point in Mark's action-packed Gospel, Jesus is bringing credentials to say he's the right guy for the job. At his baptism, the Father's voice from heaven says, well pleased, he's right for the job. Jesus has withstood and come out victorious in his temptation against Satan. Jesus has been successful in exterminating unclean spirits, minions of Satan, from men and women whose bodily homes have been infested. He's also been successful in treating other unwelcome invaders to the body. He's healed fevers. He's taken care of incurable skin diseases. He's dealt with paralysis. He's dealt with disfigurement. To everyone's viewing of Jesus, they're saying, this is great. Jesus is the right person for the job. He gets this healing job done. The only problem is what else is coming from Jesus' lips as he's getting the job done. He's attaching forgiveness to these healings. He's saying that these healings are the sign and result of God's forgiveness. And to do that is to overstep your qualifications as a human exterminator. Because by claiming forgiveness for sins, Jesus is not just claiming he's good at exterminating. He's claiming to be the God who is over all the house. He's not just claiming to be an agent of God doing the cleaning work. He's claiming to be God, the very God who's been sinned against in the invasion of Satan and sin on the world. Every hearer in Jesus's day knew that only God is able to clean house completely. Only God is able to welcome sinners back home. And if that's true, that only God can clean house and welcome sinners back home, then we have a choice to make. Do you believe Jesus is God, the right man and God for the job? Or do you reject him as something else? A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. Then Jesus went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard of it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they said to him and called to him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. This is God's word. And it is true. If only God can clean house and welcome sinners home. Then what questions must we be asking about Jesus in this passage to believe that he is God? Let's start with the first couple of verses of today's passage in verse 20 and 21. And the question that these verses ask of us is this. Is Jesus crazy or is Jesus the Christ? Is he crazy or is he the Christ? What does his family think? They think he's off his rocker. As the crowds grow to an unimaginable fanatical size, to the point that Jesus and his disciples can't even sit down for a meal, the people closest to him, his family, see it their duty to intervene. We got to do something. Are they intervening to protect Jesus and protect his ministry? No, no. How do we know that? Look at what they're saying about him. He's out of his mind. Insane. Not right in the noggin. These aren't like business consultants who are coming to Jesus and saying, you know what, we need to work on your work-life balance here. You're not getting enough to eat. You need to set some better boundaries in how you're doing. No, they're saying to themselves, we need to have this guy committed. He's not safe to himself or others. He thinks he's God himself. Something's very wrong here. In serious mental illness, of which my wife and I have been involved, some of you have been involved, this phenomenon happens many times. Broken people who have been diagnosed with serious mental illness often make claims. You may have heard it from somebody's mouth. To be the savior of the world. To be Jesus incarnate. To be God himself. I've heard that from people who have been diagnosed with serious mental illness. They believe they're Jesus. But what's striking about this passage in Mark is that Mark isn't giving diagnosis to Jesus here. He's actually giving diagnosis to his family. They're blind. They've concluded that Jesus is just a man with a serious mental illness. And later in the passage, we're going to see that this conclusion that they make keeps them from experiencing a clean house and a welcome home. So who do you say Jesus is, friends? Is he crazy or is he the Christ? Because you can't fall in the middle on this. His claim to be the Son of Man, to be the one, only one, able to forgive sin against God are too far-fetched to put him in the nice guy, great example, Jesus is my homeboy category. It doesn't work. Either he is crazy with these delusions of grandeur, either he is a pathological liar sent from the pit of hell, or he is the Christ. Many of you may have heard C.S. Lewis' conclusion on this, but I think it bears repeating. He says this, The really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus is this, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. So which is it for you? Is he crazy or is he the Christ? Are you willing to bank your life in believing every single word that comes out of Jesus' mouth is who he says he is? Then your life must begin to change as you listen to what he says. No longer can you pick and choose like an a la carte menu. I'll I'll take that part of the warm, kind, benevolent healer Jesus, but I'm going to pass on that Jesus, the one who says, no one comes to the Father but through me. Or the Jesus who says, take up your cross daily. Lay down your rights to your own life and follow me. You must take all of him and is asking you to trust everything he says Or you have to reject him completely. Your answer to this question leads us to a second question, which holds more serious consequences. And the question is this Is Jesus from heaven or from hell? Look with me at the middle bulk of this passage. Mark, who wrote this gospel, he likes to sandwich things like a double stuffed Oreo. Okay? He likes to bookend a passage and then fill it with the double stop creamy filling. If you're like me, that's the part of the Oreo that I really love, is the middle. That's what Mark does. And the filling in Mark is where you'll find a God claim. Okay, so at the beginning of this passage, Mark sets the scene with a crowded house and a concerned family, right? And at the end of the passage, what do you see there? A crowded house and a concerned family. But in between is the filling, a God claim. And it's a claim all about home and house. And it's this, where is Jesus' home? Heaven or hell? And the claim that Mark is making is this, Jesus cannot be from hell because heaven The place where God dwells is the only place you'll find forgiveness. The religious authorities, the scribes, they're coming from (laughs) D.C. The religious Washington, D.C., the capital, Jerusalem. And they're saying, he's from hell. He's from hell. The thing that's interesting is they're not denying that he's doing these miracles. He casts out demons as a demon. The signs that he's doing are not the issue here. That should say something to those of us who see Jesus' signs. You don't believe in Jesus just because of the signs. Look at the scribes. Signs are not the issue. The source is the issue. Where are these signs coming from? And Jesus argues that utterance that they're making, that he's from hell, is ridiculous. This This is what he says. Why would I clean Satan the ruler of the world, Beelzebul, and his demons out of people's houses if I belong to that house or that army? Why would I do that? That makes absolutely no sense. Think about it this way. Imagine we're going after an enemy in war, in battle, and we've got our fellow army around us. What kind of military tactic would it be if I'm going after the enemy and I just... Think, this is a great idea. I know how we're going to win this war. I'm going to turn and shoot at all of my compadres. What, what would that be? That makes absolutely no sense. And Jesus goes on to explain what he is here to do in going after the enemy. He uses words of plunder and binding. He's coming to clean house. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. The strong man is Satan. The ruler of the world who holds God's own children hostage. Like a sex trafficker or a warlord or a drug lord. He's holding God's kids captive. And Jesus casting out demons is a signpost of what his ministry is all about. Redemption. Taking back what is rightfully his. And he's going to do that through forgiveness. You see this in the language of binding and plundering. Binding of the strong man says, you have no ability, Satan, to control who's in your house anymore. And plunder says, I'm binding you. And then I'm going to steal them out and take them out and make them my own. Because, friends, Satan's number one weapon, the same tactic used by sex traffickers or drug lords, is to make the slave believe they have no way out of the house. Sounds something like this. God can never forgive you for that. You're, you're too far gone. You might as well just stay here in your sin. Satan says, God wants people who don't struggle with sin. He wants the cream of the crop, and guess what? You're not that. Jesus binds Satan's message, crushing his primary weapon and saying, there's no way out. By displaying to the world, on a cross, a God who offers a way out. Forgiveness of sins. He offers a way out of the house of sin and death. Forgiveness. There is a way out now. This is why verses 28 and 30 should not scare us like they often do, many of us insecure Christians. Let's just read 28 to 30 together. Jesus says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whoever, whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Rest assured that if you're anxious about not wanting to commit this unforgivable sin, you're not who Jesus is talking to. Because his logic in the middle of this Oreo is this. If you say Jesus is of the devil, that hell is Jesus' home, hell, a place of damnation and judgment and no forgiveness, then that is what you will receive. No forgiveness for eternity. To say Jesus' is source of healing... And cleansing is from the devil, is to deny that he is God. And to deny that Jesus is God and operating with Holy Spirit power is to refuse forgiveness. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Have you ever seen videos of slaves of sex trafficking or labor trafficking being released from their bondage of prison? It is so thrilling to watch. Someone usually is coming in with a flashlight into this dark place and like kicking down a door and then reaching out their hand through a dark cavern and says, we're here to get you out. And the faces of the victims, the slaves, almost are like in disbelief. It's been so dark in their world for so long and that light is overwhelming. But the contrast between the light that is coming in from their rescuer and the dark of their prison is so obvious that they just reach out and grab the hand. Where is Jesus from? Heaven? or hell, from God or from Satan. Because if he's from God, then there is an eternal rescue of life coming in the freedom of God's forgiveness, reaching down to pull you out. If he's from Satan, he's just leaving you there. To say Jesus is not from God is just to remain trapped in the slumlord's hell of death. It doesn't make sense. Saints, if we believe Jesus is from heaven and he is the only rescue, the only rescue from the grip of the slum lord Satan, then we, Saints, need to be offering Jesus' hand to those trapped in deep darkness. Bring the light of your presence to them to say, you don't have to live in that dark pit anymore. Christ extends a hand, a help, a way out. There may be others who are believing the lie from Satan that says, God can never forgive you. That you've committed an unforgivable sin. This scripture assures us, The only unforgivable sin is believing Jesus' home and father is the devil. Every other sin, every other sin, every other sin, as Jesus promises, are forgivable because his home and his father is a God who cleans house with forgiveness. Lastly, not only does Jesus clean house with forgiveness, He plunders the people out of their bondage by offering them a new home, a new family, a welcome home for sinners. Let's close by looking at the other side, the other piece of the Oreo. Remember Mark's Mark's words at the beginning? It was about crowded home and family. Well, Jesus claims he's on this mission to take the father's children home. And the final question I want us to ask is this. Is Jesus my brother by blood, or is Jesus my blood brother? Is Jesus my brother by blood, or is Jesus my blood brother? In verses 31 to 35, Mary and Jesus are pounding on the door to take him away because he's crazy. And it's brought to his attention. Usually in rabbinic culture, when teachers teach Family is on the inside circle, and the larger crowd is on the outside. Here, it's reversed. Family's outside the door, and the others are on the inside. And Jesus says, who's my family? It's not those who connect with me through association or tradition or bloodlines. That's not my family. My family is those who sit with me at my feet and do what the Father wants. That's my family. And what does the father want? What does he desire? What is his will? To rescue his children with forgiveness. To marry the mother of Jesus. And James, Jesus' brother. They would later become true family members through Jesus. But not because they were related to Jesus. Because they were made blood brothers and sisters and mothers. By putting their faith in the shedding of Jesus' blood. Do you remember, does anyone, anyone do the tradition of blood brothers? Did you ever become a blood brother with somebody? Do you remember how it worked? It was a pledge of allegiance, like two best friends, and this is what we would do. We would cut our skin, cut our fingers maybe, and share our blood with the other. You'd put your fingers together. Well, this was the adoption process in the people of God with Jesus. His perfect blood in exchange for your sin-stained blood. Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Jesus, who claimed to be from the Father, was cut open, and out of him flowed perfect, obedient blood in exchange for our sin-filled, devil-ruled arteries pumping with the kingdom of death and self and Satan. Mary's concern at the beginning of this verse, he's out of his mind. It would change as she wept at the cross and watched her son bleed. He's not out of his mind. He's out of this world. She would remember her own words sung as she watches him pouring himself out as an offering He who is mighty has done a great thing. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My son is the Savior. And James, Jesus' brother, he would eventually become the leader of the Jerusalem church. As the Holy Spirit would open his eyes to believe that his brother's blood on the cross would forgive him with his father in heaven. Friends, only God can clean house and welcome home sinners. And Jesus is not only from God. He is God, a perfect and loving God who offers a way out. He welcomes sinners home with his offer of becoming a blood brother to those who would be willing to make the exchange. Your blood for mine, my blood for yours. This means, this exchange means your will instead of mine. This means listening to your voice, not mine. This means your life is the life I live, not mine. We can't, like his family members, just associate with Jesus by going to church or being traditional or calling ourselves Presbyterian. That is just being a follower of Jesus by association. No, we must believe Jesus on his terms. That he alone is God. That he alone has cleansed us out of Satan's house of lies. That his blood alone is what welcomes us home to be with our father. You, Jesus, perfect God from heaven. And you, Jesus, perfect man willing to go to the lowest place to rescue us. You, Jesus, are the right man for the job. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have to make a decision about Jesus. And Lord, we confess that we have in some ways demoted him to becoming just a man. But Father, would you help us as your people and as those exploring your claims to declare You are not just a man. You are not a liar. You are not a product of the devil. You are the king of all kings sent from a loving father to rescue and redeem your people from our pit, from our enslavement, from our home with Satan. Thank you, Father, for making a way through forgiveness, that we could be with you, at home with you, being called sons and daughters by you forever through the work of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.